0: I think I'm right in saying that over 40 years ago, an immigrant from Europe who uh, had made his life post-World War II a new life in the U.S. followed his curiosity and passion around what makes great people tick, what makes high performers perform the way they do. And he was given the opportunity or created the opportunity in the University of Chicago to start on what has become very uh, important research research pioneering research around what's known uh, in sport as the zone. Um, He was the one who kind of coined the term the flow and he wrote his first book called The Psychology of Flow. His name is Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. try and say that after a few drinks. But his research has been really, really critical to what has become a booming area of interest around high performance in every field. Now, what he found over his research was that regardless of your field, whether it was chess, sailing, business, soccer, rugby, American football, tennis, rock star, performance, and any musicians, basically anybody at the top of their game, he showed that actually there were certain things that they had in common. Now, that research has been taken on and then other companies, for example, McKinsey and Co. did a quite a large study of several thousand executives, I think about a decade ago, and they showed that if you can help uh, leaders get into a certain type of flow state or a higher performance state, the productivity increases by a shocking 500%. That's, is that not incredible? The US Army then have taken it into areas such as problem solving with their soldiers and they've shown that they can kind of get an increase in problem solving from 200 to 300% in the battlefield. And, you know, what what Mihaili's research started and is now showing is that your state, can be uh, changed. People are high performers who are high performers can actually, they do operate differently, they think differently. And a lot of that can be uh, created. And what all the research has shown is that when your state is at a higher level in flow or close to it, you think differently, you think better. And as a result, you perform better. You have more clarity, you're more relaxed, ideas come to you easily. It's you at your best and if you're listening to this and this type of podcast, there's no doubt in my mind that you have experienced that kind of zone. But what would it feel like to have it more often? Um, and if you're interested in doing that, that's a big passion of exploration for me. And I have a three-day intensive coming up, a small group intensive at the first week in June. You can participate from anywhere in the world. Um, we run it um, in a certain time in, in the Irish time zone, which is GMT, but it's virtual and it's a small group, so that means you will get uh, some extra level of attention from myself. But if you're interested in exploring and bringing more of the flow into your work, into your life, into whatever you do, uh, well then please check out the link in the show notes here. The course is called Sustainable High Performance. If it resonates, maybe check it out and maybe I'll see you there. Today, I'll be sharing some insights and lessons learned that I got from talking to a fascinating High performance woman, I'm sure somebody who has experienced flow many times, and I think you're going to find it very interesting. So let's get into today's show. Hey there, my name is Shane Craddock, and this is the Inner Edge podcast where I share a different take on how to lead and live a sustainable high performance life. Over the course of different episodes, I'm going to challenge the belief that tension, stress, and struggle are essential to success and creativity. My experience is that there's an easier way, there's a better way, and indeed there's an essential way that we need to explore for the times that we live in. So let's go ahead, let's jump in and explore. Hi there, Shane Craddock here on The Inner Edge. You're very welcome to today's episode, which uh, I'm very lucky to say that as, as a result of being given the opportunity to interview a living legend, genuine living legend, which is a very rare um, event to get that kind of opportunity and it was with Rachel Blackmore now if you're Irish I'm pretty sure you're going to know who Rachel Blackmore is but if you're listening to this many other country in the world which I know a few people do I might have to explain but I, you may well there's a good chance you probably have heard of her so she is an Irish jockey and she's a, a racing uh, jump jockey I think is the term um, but she is probably uh one of the greatest jockeys alive at the moment, male or female. Um, she became the first woman to be the leading jockey at the Cheltenham Festival, which is one of the biggest festivals in the UK. She had six wins there, including the champion hurdle um, in 2021. Um, she won the Gold Cup. She was the first female jockey to win the Gold Cup. She's also, the, for this year, the first woman to win the Grand National Um, she's just incredible and even her she's like the Irish Sportsperson of the Year I think um, last year with the RTE the Irish Television Network and then incredibly she was given the honour of BBC World Star of the Year I mean she's up there that that kind of award is given to people outside of Britain because it's BBC but like you're including people like Muhammad Ali, Roger Federer um, Evander Holyfield, Michael Johnson, Usain Bolt, like she's up there and recognized now as an elite sports person and one of my clients uh, this week was doing the launch of a, a relaunch of a brand for them, uh, Core Building Providers owned by MMA and Alan Hegarty and they had asked me would I, uh, they were, on their launch day they were, asked they were going to do a private Q&A kind of fireside chat style interview with Rachel Blackmore. And they're wondering if I would do the interview, and I was absolutely bowled over and delighted to get a chance to talk to Rachel in front of about 70 people. It was a private audience, Uh, it was Chatham House Rules, so there was no recording devices. Um, And so I'm not going to be quoting anything directly from Rachel here, but I want to give you a sense of my take on what came out in that interview with her, which lasted about maybe 50, 55 minutes. She was very candid, very honest, and a lovely, lovely presence. Um. But one of the main takeaways I'm going to share with you here, and there were many, there were many, um, I'm, I'm too many probably to share. Maybe I'll do a blog or something with the other ones that, that strike me. But one of the key ones that I got was get in the game and stay in the game. Like if you want to succeed in the game, you have to get in the game, but then you have to stay in the game. Now, what I mean by that, what I've seen myself in my own life and in my own work is that at times I might say, well, okay, I want to do this project or I want to achieve this result. Um, and maybe I get in the game. But but very often what derails the whole thing is that I don't stay in the game. Or I have met a lot of people, clients, etc. who've done the exact same thing. And very often what you'll find is this. The person who kind of gets in and stays in and just stays in, working at it, persisting, is the one who kind of gets there. And that's that was certainly something that struck me with Rachel and listening to her story, um, she had said and has said in other interviews that she never dreamed in a way of, of winning what she has, but at the same time as she told her story, there was very much, it was very evident listening to her that there was just this hope, and this with the hope came this, I would just call it stubbornness is the way I interpreted it, where... You know, she was riding as an amateur and even going through college in UCD and University of Limerick. And she was, you know, getting qualifications to get a real job, as she called it. Um, still, privately, she was, she had kept her foot on the game of being a jockey. She was still rice, racing. She was an amateur jockey. And she was telling me that, uh, you know, you don't, you, you you get a limited amount of time to ride races as an amateur. And she got an opportunity to go professional. She took it and she said that was the game changer moment for her because um, you get a lot more time to race. And so as a result, you get a lot more time to practice. Therefore, you're working on your craft more. Um, And I just got this impression this this person who just would not give up. She was in it. She was going to stay in it through thick and thin. She told me that she never had a moment where she thought of giving up. And that just to me indicates somebody who is just like, I am staying in this. And I do think that we can all take something something out of that. Now, a link to that was a recognition from her of the value of practice. And in sport in particular, you will see this a lot. Um, I've worked with some sports people at the top level myself. And all the best ones, you'll always hear it anyway, is that they, they are just obsessed with their craft. And as a result, they practice, practice, practice. I do think the business world can learn a lot from that. Um, or in any field, sport, business, life, you know what's there you're trying to excel in, and what do you? How much are you practicing, or are you even practicing at all? You know, I think that for her it was very clear this was a consuming passion. It was an all-consuming passion, and listening to her, and it would have to be at the be the very, very top of your game. And, and what I love about Rachel is, you know, she was very much downplaying. Look, it doesn't matter to me about being a woman or whatever. Um, I'm just really want to be. I want to win I want to be the best of what I can do and so there was She so she was saying there was like a lack of recognition around that distinction between man and woman having said that to be a woman in a very male dominated sport she is the breakthrough individual who is now going to light the path for other people other women coming and it was very evident amazing to watch in the room there there was a small marquee tent created by core building providers in Ireland for this event and in the room we had a lot of men. We had plenty of women as well. And also there were children. And so she has become this kind of uh, role model now. And I think that consuming passion has allowed her to stay in the game. The The, the other thing I will link into this is that uh, afterwards some of my family were asking me, well, like how did she come across? What was your sense of her? And for me... She was very relaxed, very personable, very easygoing. But as she was giving her answers, my sense of her sitting beside her on a little stage, I just got this impression of steel. I kind of got an impression of somebody who just would not be shaken. She's obviously quite human. Um, and And I will because we're talking about the inner edge and different angles. You know, I was amazed to hear that from her perspective, you know, jockeys don't really get any training on... The inner side, on the mental side, which is, I think, quite interesting, and but it came, but it was very clear that she's very mentally strong, and it seemed that from her perspective, that has happened from having a lot of failure, and again, linked to having a lot of races. So it's time, inner craft, and then also adapting to the losses. Like any top sportsman will tell you, you know, there's there's always going to be plenty of losses, and she seemed to have really adapted to that pain and to those losses, uh, and accepted it as part of the journey. But something else that came in that I thought was quite interesting was her ability to do a mental reset, an inner reset, and her approach to that. Now, we didn't have too much time to get into the actual detail of what was going on there, but it was very clear that, for example, in her world, as a top jockey, a professional jockey, you could have multiple races during a day. And if you can imagine, you know, maybe one race goes well, maybe the next two go badly, Maybe you have a fall, maybe um, you lose a race that you were expected to win. And maybe mentally you're really annoyed or upset or confused, as a top person can be, you know, especially if if you feel you should have done better. Um, But then maybe 45 minutes later, there's another race, and you've got to get yourself sorted for a new race, a new horse, maybe even a new trainer um, that you're working with. So how do you mentally reset? And I thought that was a great um it's a very, it's obviously a very key aspect to her game she was very clear key in its importance for her um and she just said that she had adapted and realized that look if i carry over any of the negative emotion from a bad race into the next race i know i'm not going to perform at my best so i kind of just figured out that i just have to let go and reset now that's my language um but that essentially is what she was saying: is that you just needed to understand how to let go of whatever was bothering her, or the badness, or the difficulty in the race. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, it probably means you're a interested in in creating better for yourself in whatever you do, whether it's business in particular or your life, um, or indeed sport. But what she's describing is the same thing as a golfer: you have a bad hole, you're annoyed at yourself. How quickly can you reset? Key skill. Bring it into business, you're having a meeting or a pitch or a key client conversation, and it goes badly from your perspective. You're annoyed at yourself, you're upset, it throws your mind. How quickly can you reset? I know some people, when things like that happen, they could be gone for a few days into the wrong mindset. And there's a big cost to be paid for that, not just in your work and your business, but also in terms of profit, cash, but also in terms of relationships, your quality of life, your state of mind. And what she's shown there is just, I suppose, on one level, there was an incredible hunger to win. You could see it in her, um, she talked about that winning element, um, but an incredible drive to get better. Part of what probably would be called in psychology, the growth mindset. Keep on learning. She would often talk about reviewing by video some of the races that she was in, good and bad, uh, to learn. So this obsession with getting better. But that to me, just all of that indicates I'm all in. So I'm not just in the game, I'm going to stay in the game, so I'm all in, I am all in. So if we bring it back to to you, as you know I like to do, what's what's a top area that you'd like to do better in? Now, it might be in your business, it might be in your work, it could be in your health and fitness. I know a couple of people are coming to mind at the moment in my head where, and I've done this myself, where you kind of go, yeah, yeah, no, I want to get fit, or I want to lose weight or gain, whatever it is, your goal and you're in and you're kind of doing the stuff, but you're not really all in. You're kind of like 50, 60% in. And because of that, it's easy to get knocked out. And most people do. That's why they don't stay with perhaps the changes in health and fitness. But it could be this exact same thing to do with um key project. Again, bringing it back just from my own experience, when I brought out my book, Inspire Me. Um, Initially, when I was writing that book, I was in it. And I, if you'd asked me, I would say, yeah, no, no, I'm in it. I'm in it to win it type of thing. But I wasn't really... Because at one point I was kind of, I stopped working on the project because I felt I was kind of getting feedback on, no, no this book, no, we don't want the book. I was getting rejection, which is part of the game in the book world. Uh, that's like the equivalent of losing a horse race, I guess. Um, and it wasn't until I was having a chat with someone I realized, oh, hold on, I actually checked out of this mentally, even though I'm pretending to be in it, but I'm not really. And then I had to make a decision, no, I'm going to get this done. And then I just went at it and I got it done. But it wasn't easy um it, and it never is to get to that level or get to the end of a line with something that perhaps others um would just give up on and i think that's what i'm what i'm taking out of the conversation with rachel blackmore is just this incredible desire to win and as a result maybe an unconscious recognition on her part that i am all in there's nothing else she gets up in the morning the first thing she's thinking about really is her work, her craft as a jockey. um, And then throughout the day, it's all about that. Talking to trainers, riding out horses, maybe races. It's all about that. And when she goes to bed, um, she was telling me she goes to bed quite early, about nine o'clock to half nine. Doesn't seem to be any hobbies. Not that much Netflix, perhaps. But if you're at the top in the world, that would make sense. So what's your area that maybe you'd like to think about where maybe you're not getting the results you want? And then just ask yourself, honestly, are you all in or are you half in? And what would it take for you to go all in? Going back to what I said at the start but getting in the game and then staying in the game. And as I sat talking to Rachel and as I also observed in the audience, men, women and children, looking at this person and inspired by her, it just really struck me. She came across so natural, so ordinary. And I'm not using that in a negative way, but just a very ordinary, grounded, down to earth person. But this person, this woman, has achieved extraordinary things in her uh, field. And it's just a reminder to me that if you are all in, in whatever that means to you and whatever it takes for you to get on it, all in, like ordinary people, anybody can do extraordinary things, but they do need to be all in. So that's it for today. Thanks for being with me. Bye-bye.